0: Uh, the Bible reading tonight is from two passages. Uh, the first passage is John 1 verse one. That's John 1 verses one. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The second reading is from Ecclesiastes verses one chapter one, verses 1 to 14. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 1. 1 to 14. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth re- remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. And hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, everything returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind.
1: Uh, Well, good evening. My name is Joel, one of the pastors here. Uh, Why don't you turn to the person next to you, say hi, tell them your name, and then ask them this very complicated question, what is the meaning to life? Talk to the person next to you, and then I'll bring us in. All righty. So I've given you 30 seconds to answer one of the most difficult questions uh, in the world. Uh, hopefully you can continue that answer, or that discussion on afterwards at dinner, uh, which will happen uh, after the service. Um, it's probably worthwhile explaining why we're doing this, service, uh, this series called One Question for God. Uh, basically in the lead up to Easter, we wanted to ask our friends, our family members, and even the people around our church, if there's one question you could ask God, what would that question be? And so we did some door knocking and we asked some people and then we got all the answers together. And from those answers, we've come up with a three-week series entitled One Question for God. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at these tough questions and doing our best to answer them from the Bible to explain to people what the Bible teaches us about these questions. Uh, For tonight, we're looking at the question, what is the meaning of life? Next week, we're going to be looking at the, what I reckon is even tougher question, and I'm not preaching on it, so I'm thankful, uh, is why is there suffering, uh, which Pastor Rod will be explaining to us. And then the third week, which will actually be at the Hope Theatre at UOW, uh, what happens after we die. Now, look, if you're someone and this is your first time to church, or, or maybe one of the first times you've been here and you've come along and you're not necessarily a believer, you're more a skeptic, or you're not too sure, can I say you're welcome here and we're, we're glad you're here uh, and we're glad that you're engaging with what is a very important question? Uh, you may disagree with what I say tonight, that, that's fine. Uh, like, please, you're welcome here and we're just glad you're here and engaging with it. And for those of you who call yourself believers, Uh, My hope is that you understand that these questions are really tough questions, and and you may know the answer or be comfortable with what you know for these questions, but a lot of people don't. And so I want to encourage you to engage in it as well and think through whether or not practically the truths you know intellectually are actually affecting your heart and your lives. And so saying all that, I'm going to to pray for us before we dig into this question. Uh, Prayers is a time where we talk before God. Uh, And if you'd like to pray with me, please do. And just say, Amen at the end, which means I agree. So how about we pray to God? Uh, Father God, we want to thank you so much for the joy and privilege it is for us now to gather together uh, and to sit under your word and, and to try and engage with these tough questions. Specifically of this question, what is the meaning to life, Lord? We pray that you may give us wisdom to understand the answer to this question, and so Lord, please be with me as I seek to teach it, and please be with us as we seek towards implementing your word in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' fame, amen. So, I want you to begin by pretending that you are on a spaceship, okay? I want you to pretend you're on a spaceship, uh, ship that is in space, hence spaceship, um, like USS Enterprise if you're a Star Trek fan, or maybe like the Death Star if you're a Star Wars fan, okay? And I want you to pretend you're on this spaceship and you just wake up. And then you don't know how you got there. You've know, you got no idea. And so what you do is you walk up to the bridge, you go to the captain. You're like, hey, captain, how did I get here? And the captain's like, I have no idea. And then you're like, well, uh, where are we going? And then the captain's like, I have no idea. And then you're like, okay, how long are we on this ship for? And the captain's like, until you die. And then you ask the question, well, what do I do until I die? And then the captain just says, just sit back and enjoy the ride. Now, for some of us, this spaceship uh, seems like a great holiday. You know, maybe I don't know what's going on in your life at the moment, the sort of week you've had, but maybe like, oh, that would be awesome right now, not to have to go to work tomorrow, but to be in space and to look at the planets and the stars. Like, that would be amazing. That sounds blissful. And I think it would be, you know, maybe for a weekend, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe even a year potentially. But I think for a lifetime, I think that would be incredibly frustrating and depressing. And truth be told, I think those stars and those planets will lose its appeal as to how beautiful they are over time, just like how we look at Wollongong Beach and over time it can lose its appeal. I don't know about you, but personally, I get frustrated when things have no meaning or things have no point uh, or things have got no purpose. Let me give you a few examples uh, so I can have some time, some counseling up here for you guys to listen to me. Um, As most of you know, I'm quite competitive. And so if I ever go to a park uh, and people are there kicking a soccer ball like casually to one another, I'm the sort of dude who's there constantly counting how many people are there kicking the ball. And I'm waiting till there's about 10 people. And then I'm going to get my shoes off, make some goals and say, all right, it's time to play a game. Like There's got to be a purpose to what we're doing here, okay? I need to beat you, not just kick a ball to you. Uh, That's sort of who I am. There needs to be a purpose behind let me give you another example. Uh, this one's not a good one, but I just really want to tell you. Um, I really dislike pointless things. Uh, I'll give you an example. I hate, like with an irrational hate this is, uh, is LED signs that are in cafes that really brightly shine open or close. I, I really don't like them. Like, I, I feel like they like, insult my intellect. Like, I feel like they're saying to me, you cannot determine whether or not the cafe is open unless I have a really bright sign telling you. You know, they don't realize that actually I can look and see the doors are open and there's people inside and there's lights on. And if there's no one there, I don't want to go there. Um, I've got a real bad hatred for those things. I don't like pointless things. And I think you're the same. I think you can get frustrated when there's no meaning to what you do, for example. I know a lot of you here are workers. And if I also say to you that from tomorrow morning for the next week, uh, that you're actually not going to get paid for that week's worth of work. Uh, matter of fact, you're not going to achieve anything. You're not going to accomplish anything. No one's going to appreciate you. Matter of fact, people are going to complain about you. At the end of that week, I think you want to quit that job. I don't think you want to devote your life to that company. Well, let me give you another example. I know a lot of you here are students. If I was to say say to you, for those of you who are studying, at the end of your degree, you're actually not going to be more employable, uh, more smart, uh, but instead you're just going to be poor uh, and you're going to get nowhere. If I told you that now, you'd quit your university degree. Like, what's the point? What's the purpose? I, I don't think it's an unrealistic or unfair thing to say that a lot of us can get frustrated when there's no purpose to what we do. My guess is that you're the same as me, although you might have some different pet hates, which is why I'm really excited that we're engaging with this question tonight as to what is the meaning to life? What does it mean to life? Because I think it's a really important question that has some practical consequences in our lives. Now, truth be told, um, look, I am not Einstein and I am like do not know necessarily everything, and and truth be told, I'm just a human, as you know, and there's been plenty of people that have tried to answer this question. All you need to do is go to Wikipedia, go to YouTube, and you'll get a 1,001 answers to this question, what is the meaning to life? But tonight, what I want to do is I want to give you, or talk through, not necessarily give you, but talk through three answers to this question, three big answers uh, as to what is the meaning to life. And I want to put my cards on the table straight up. Uh, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor, you're at church, and so uh, I believe, well, what I believe, so it might not be what you believe, but that's okay, but I'm going to do my best to persuade you to necessarily believe what the Bible teaches, but I want to let you, uh, invite you to engage with me. If you disagree with me, that's okay. We can still be friends. So let's have a look at the first answer that many people give to this question as to what is the meaning to life, and the answer is this, there is no meaning, there is no meaning. Uh, specifically, uh, many people who believe this are hardcore atheists or evolutionists, and basically they believe that the world has been created through random chance, uh, and therefore, as a result, there's no meaning, no purpose, no design behind life, civilization, who we are and what we do. Now, I'm not an atheist, uh, nor am I someone who holds this view, and so it's probably, I think, it's better if I actually quote to you people who uh, do hold this view uh, so you can understand what they uh, think and believe. And so let me read out to you a few quotes Uh, just to explain their views. The first one uh, is the famous atheist and former professor at the University of Oxford. majority of you will know him, Richard Dawkins. Uh, This is what he says in regards to the meaning of life. He says, "...the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference." Uh, someone else who's a voice worth listening to, uh, this quote won't, won't come up on the screen, I'm sorry, is the English political uh, philosopher John Gray, and in his book, Straw Dog, he says this, he says, because humans are made of chemicals no different than plants and animals, human life has no more meaning than the life of slime mold. Um, break that down for you, you and I have no more meaning than the mold at the bottom of your shower. Another voice worth listening to is the American evolutionary biologist and Harvard professor, Stephen Gould. And this quote will come up on the screen. He says this, "Uh, "'We are here because one odd group of fishes "'had a peculiar thin autonomy "'that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures, "'because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age, "'because a small and tenuous species arising in Africa "'a quarter of a million years ago "'has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook, We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. We cannot read the meaning of life passively in the facts of nature. Um, I I find that quote really interesting. And in particular, towards the end of the quote, I find really interesting when he says, this explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. Now, you may disagree with me here, but but personally, I can understand how believing there's no meaning to life can be liberating, because it means you just, well, might as well live life the the way you want to live and do whatever you want to do, because there's absolutely no meaning, no purpose behind anything. But I don't know if I'd necessarily go on to say that's exhilarating. I think for most people, the concept that there is no meaning to life and what we do is not exhilarating, but instead a bit depressing and seems to go against what we naturally believe and want to think when it comes to our life. Truth be told, it actually more makes me think of a Greek myth, in particular the Greek myth of uh, Sisyphus. If you don't know this myth, uh, let me explain it to you. There'll be a picture of it on the screen uh, so you can see good old uh, Sisyphus, who has a very difficult name to pronounce. Um... This myth is about the, how the Greek gods um, wanted to condemn this man called Sisythus because uh, he did something wrong against the gods. And so the Greek gods wanted to condemn him by getting this man to push a large boulder up the top of a mountain day in, day out. But instead, when the, it, it, he didn't actually get the boulder to the top of the mountain, but only like a few meters before the pinnacle, before the top. The boulder then came back, hit Sisyphus, and then went all the way back to the bottom. And he would do this day in, day out, every single day of his life. And to contextualize this myth, um, uh, an example would be, say that you do data entry work, uh, and you do that 9 to 5, uh, it's on a Windows computer, and uh, at 5 to 5, the computer crashes, you know, blue screen of death, wouldn't happen on a Mac computer. Um, imagine that happened every single day, and so like, it, like, all your data was never saved. Now, c- can I ask you, would you find that exhilarating, or would you find that depressing and frustrating? I think maybe you could say that having no meaning to life is liberating, but truth, truth I don't know, maybe deep down, I think you could also see it could be quite depressing and futile. You see, that's what the Greeks thought. You see, the reason why that they condemned this man, uh, Sisyphus, to this uh, labour is because they believed that futile labour is one of the most severe punishments that you can put on someone in their life. First meaning of life there is no meaning. Uh, truth be told, I, I think this is quite depressing. And uh, truth be told, not many people actually hold to this worldview, even though they not, may not believe that there is no God. Uh, they don't actually necessarily explicitly say there's no meaning to life. But instead, most people probably fit into the second camp, the second answer, uh, which we'll go through now. And the second answer to what is the meaning of life is this, uh, which come up on the screen, is to make meaning, is to make meaning. Uh, Henry Miller, uh, who is a, a famous author, I think he summarizes this view quite well, says this. He says, Life has to be given a meaning because of the obvious fact that it has no meaning. Life has to be given a meaning because of the obvious fact that it has no meaning. And so, when you um, deep down believe actually there, there is no God, therefore there is no purpose, there is no meaning objectively to life, then I guess by no, by no other choice, you try to make subjective meanings in your life so the fact that you actually feel like what you do matters. Let me give you a list of um, many different subjective views on the meaning of life which people have come up with, uh, which are helpful. Uh, The first one is by uh, the British philosopher Alan Watts. Uh, He believes that the meaning of life is just to be alive. The famous scientist Stephen Hawkins believes that work gives you meaning and purpose in life. Robert F. Kennedy, the brother of John F. Kennedy, says that the purpose of life is to contribute in some way to making things better. And one of my idols in life, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, he says that the meaning of life is simply not to exist, so he would disagree with Alan Watts, but to survive, to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, and to conquer. So if you're ever working out in the gym, you should try and memorize that quote, and that can motivate you. Um, There's a a recent documentary, I think a year ago on ABC, it was called The Australian Story, and they did this interview, this story, on a guy called Daryl Parker. Uh, I love his profession. He is a professional paper plane pilot, um, and in this documentary, they asked him what he believes is the meaning to life, and he's, I guess, an everyday Australian, and he says that the meaning of life is to have fun, is to have fun. I think a lot of us can resonate with that. Uh, I, I think if you're to make up your own meaning in life, there, there's multiple different ways to finish this sentence. You know, like what is the meaning to life? Maybe the meaning of life is to have a family. The meaning of life is to be successful. It's to have a good career. It's to be rich. It's to be famous. It's to be healthy. It's to be remembered and on and on and go. It's to have children. It's, there's lots of different things that you could subjectively fulfill that sentence with or finish that with, sorry. And, and truth be told, like I can relate to this. Like, if deep down I didn't believe that there was a God and therefore there was no objective meaning to life at all, well then personally I'd find that depressing and I'd have to create my own meaning as to how to live this life. But the only problem with that is I think that leads to disappointment. Uh, as, I, as I look around the room, I, I believe that a lot of you here uh, are smart people, that you're not idiots. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, And what what I'm trying to say here is I think a lot of us here have had a few runs on the board, and I think a lot of us here know that life can disappoint us. And that if you try to find your meaning in relationships, then you know, people can disappoint you. If you try and find your meaning in a workplace, you can get fired, or if not, you will eventually retire, and then you can struggle with depression and feeling like, what's the point to life? If you're someone who thinks the meaning of life is to have children, well, I hate to break this to you, uh, it mourns my heart when I think of this, your kids grow up and they eventually leave your house, and then once again, you've got to think through, what's the meaning to life? I think we all know that, if, for example, if the meaning of your life is health and wealth, well, then when suffering comes, then that is just going to fade away. And I think I'm not wrong in saying this, is that we, that can just lead to disappointments. And then on top of that, I think what occurs then is we just move from one meaning to another meaning to another meaning. So when you're younger, it could be to have friends, it could be when you're at school, and then when you're studying, it could be to, uh, you know, get a good mark, and then it could be you're working to have a good job, and then you get married, it's, you know, being married, it's have children, and then it's to make money and get wealth and uh, prosperity, and then it's to be retired and to travel the world. And because you get over one disappointment and you just go on a merry-go-round from one thing to the next, which just keeps on disappointing you. And... Um, this may be offensive and you may be like, Joel, I disagree with you, that's, that's okay. Um, but I'm not the only person who thinks this. And so let me point to you, uh, someone who's not a Christian and someone who's a famous writer, uh, Leo uh, Tol- Tolstoy. And he says this when reflecting upon the meaning of life. And should come up on the screen. He says, I could give no reasonable meaning to any single action or to my whole life. I was only surprised that I could have avoided understanding this from the very beginning. It has been so long, known to all. Today or tomorrow, sickness and death will come. They had come already to those I love or to me. Nothing will remain but stench and worms. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this? He goes on, and how go on living? That is what is surprising. One can only live while one is intoxicated with this life. As soon as one, thing, one is sober, it is impossible not to see that all of this is a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. That is precisely what it is. There is nothing either amusing or witty about it. It is simply cruel and stupid. I find that really interesting, that we can be intoxicated by life and not actually realize that what we're doing has no meaning at all. And do you know what? Tolstoy was not the only person to think and believe this. Uh, matter of fact, uh, there's someone in the Bible who actually argued the same point. In the book of Ecclesiastes, maybe you've heard of this book, it's in the Old Testament, it's thousands of years old, uh, the author makes a very similar point, that if you try and make your own meaning, it's going to end in meaninglessness. Specifically in the book of Ecclesiastes, this is a book that was written to, uh, sorry, read to us before. Uh, and what we're told in verse 1 is that the words of the teacher, a son of David, king in Jerusalem, in other words, this is the author, uh, most likely this was King Solomon, uh, who was a famous king in the Old Testament. And in verse 2 is basically his opening line to his book. Uh, now, if any of you have written an essay or tried to write a book, you know your opening line has got to be good. You've got to grab people's attention. Well, let's see what Solomon says. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utter meaningless. Now, I, I think most of us in this room can agree that there's lots of things in life that are meaningless, um, such as cats. Um, <laughs> hate to break it to you. Uh, but, you know, Solomon steps it up a gear here when he says, everything is meaningless. Everything. You know, it makes you think, Solomon, really everything? Like marriage? Isn't, doesn't that bring me meaning in life? He says, meaningless. But what about children? He says, meaningless. What, what about my property portfolio? Meaningless. What about my career, success, my health? Me- meaningless. Meaningless. In verse 14, Solomon says this, he says, I have seen all things that are done under the sun and all of them are meaningless. And I love this imagery, a chasing after the wind. I don't know about you, but if, if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, and maybe you haven't, but if you have on a good day, uh, when you read it, you can just feel like, you can feel like sorry for Solomon, right? Like you just want to give him a hug. You just want to give him a pat on the back. You just want to be like, it's going to be okay. You know, let's go outside, get some sunshine. You know, life is not that bad. And yet, the truth is, Solomon actually doesn't change his point. For 12 chapters in this book, he just methodically goes through and proves his point in detail as to how everything that you try and find meaning in in this life is going to lead to meaninglessness. You see, basically, in verses 4 to 7, he says this. I find this really intriguing. He says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes ever returning on its course of this verse. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there, there they return again. What Solomon's saying here is that life is like a treadmill. You know, you don't get anywhere. And, and the truth is, it's like mowing the lawns. Um, like, I don't know about you, but personally, I hate, mowing the lawns. Uh, if you like mowing the lawns, uh, I live at Unidera. Uh, please talk to me afterwards. You can't mow my lawns. Uh, but I hate mowing the lawns. The reason why I hate mowing the lawns is because you mow them and they look good. And like, I don't know, th- two weeks later, three weeks later, they look terrible again. And you're going to go out and mow them again. And then two to three weeks later, you go out and mow them again and again and again. And it's just really frustrating there we go. Yeah. So some contract a it. or maybe if you're a, a mother, uh, or, or uh, you would, or someone who just you know lives by yourself, you know, for example, the washing, like you wash it and then it gets dirty again, or like doing the dishes, right? Like you do the dishes and then the next night you do the dishes, and like you never make progress. That's what Solomon's saying: is life is like, especially if you try and find meaning in it, it's futile. You know, and on top of that, maybe some of you in this room, you're like, no, 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 Joel, I disagree with this. Like, I'm going to make a difference, not a dent in this world. Like, when I leave here, my name is going to be the highest ranked on Google. People will remember me. I'm going to have a Wikipedia page. People are going to remember me. I'm going to be remembered. Look, I hate to break this to you. Uh, I complimented you before by saying you look smart, uh, but you don't look famous. Uh, Truth be told, I don't think any of us here are going to be remembered in a hundred years' time, maybe even less, Solomon says this in verse 11, he says, no one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. See, if you try and make a difference, truth be told, you'll be forgotten. Just like Tolstoy says, you become like stench and worms and you will not be remembered. And so if you try to find meaning in this life, it's really actually going to turn up empty and you'll be forgotten. Now, maybe you're thinking, look, Joel, like, who is this Solomon guy? Like, how does he know this? Well, let me give you a few details about Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel. Uh, at the time, Israel was probably one of the most prosperous uh, nations in the world. And so he had more money than you and I will ever have. Uh, he had more property than you and I will ever had. He had more friends. He had more military people and, and soldiers at his command. He won battles. He conquered lands. He, he led his nation well. This was a man that also had, I think, 300 wives and 300 concubines. So this man knew the pleasures of life. This was a man that pursued all things. This was a man that had the bucket list uh, that all of us have combined. And he ticked off every single thing. And at the end, he still said, it's all meaningless. It's meaningless. You know, the Bible even says to us that he was one of the wisest men who ever lived. Wiser than you and me. And what does he yet say? He says, life is meaningless, like chasing off the wind, especially if you are trying to find meaning in the things of this world. You see, I think truth be told is you can try and find meaning in life, but whatever meaning you come up with, it's just distracting you from the reality that actually your life has no meaning. Like, let me give you an example. Like, I love sport. A lot of you know this, but, but truth be told, uh, like a, ball, a soccer ball is just a plastic ball filled with air, and that's all it is. And if your life is about soccer, the truth be told is that's quite meaningless. In the scheme of eternity, in the scheme of history, it is nothing. It is nothing. See, truth be told, I reckon as well, just like I said before, that uh, if you believe life has no meaning, that that sort of doesn't sit well with most of us. I think when you deep down come to realize that any superficial meaning you come up with really is just distracting you from the reality that actually there's no meaning to life, I think that doesn't sit well with us either. It doesn't. How do I know this? Well, it's not just my own thoughts. Uh, there's another guy called um, Albert Camus. This is a, he was a French philosopher, Nobel Prize winner. Uh, specifically, he wrote an essay on the myth of Sisyphus. Uh, and as he wrote this essay on this myth, I can never say that word right. Anyway, uh, he was uh, reflecting on this myth and this story about um, this man and how the Greek gods have condemned him. But he's also not a believer, so he doesn't believe there's a God. And so he's reflecting on the fact that there's no absolute or objective meaning to life. And he's reflected upon those two truths and he said in response to those two truths, there's one of three responses you can have. The first response is to commit suicide. It's just to go, look, there's no meaning to life. What you do is futile. What's the point? The second response is to have faith in a God and a bigger meaning, a bigger purpose. And the third response is to accept the absurd. Accept the absurd. In other words, if you believe that your meaning to life is just to uh, be happy, well, accept that, but also accept that that meaning is absurd and it's shallow and it's really not a meaning to life at all and you're just distracting yourself from a deeper truth. So, what is the meaning to life? Answer one, there is no meaning. If you believe that, truth be told, I think you'll be depressed. Answer number two, make your own meaning. You can believe that, but truth be told, I think you're just distracting yourself. What about truth number three? Well, truth number three is what I believe the Bible teaches. So let me explain this to you. And it's a truth that I believe that will lead to delight, both now and forever. And so let's go through truth number three, which is that the meaning of life is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. You see, in the Bible, in Genesis 1, what it teaches us is that God is a designer and a creator who in the beginning created the universe and created you and me. That we were not created by random chance. That he said, we were created by a designer, a creator. And that he created us in his image. He created us uh, to, uh, be, to I guess, to reflect his characteristics and to bring glory to him. This is a flawed illustration, but you know just how like there's uh, statues, like the statue at Wynn Stadium of football players. You know how like a statue is meant to reflect the glory of the person it represents. Well, so as humans, we were created to do that for God. But of course, we're moving living statues. And so we are meant to reflect God's characteristics, God's glory. And God created Adam and Eve. And He created them so that they would be in a relationship with Him. And He created them so they would glorify Him. And one way they could do that is by trusting Him. By trusting Him. By trusting that He knows the path to life, not the path to death. And so when He says to Adam and Eve, Hey, look, I want you to worship Me. And one way you do that is by trusting and obeying Me. And so He says to them, You can eat from any of the trees in the garden but this one tree, this forbidden tree. Unfortunately, as we know, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and to dishonor God. Instead of honoring God and glorifying God, they chose to dishonor Him. And so they ate from that forbidden tree. Ever since then, the Bible tells us that all of humanity has now been has a corrupted flesh. And so by nature, what we do is instead of trying to find meaning and joy in God, we try to find meaning and joy in other things. And we go on these pursuits of trying to find meaning in all these other things that keep on disappointing us and distracting us to give you an example of what's going on here is what we're doing by actually uh, not reflecting the glory of God and not being his perfect image bearers. We're like being a bad statue. Um, now, let me give you an example of that. As I mentioned, I like soccer. Uh, there's one famous player, probably one of the most famous called Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, He recently got a statue made up of him. Uh, He's a pretty attractive guy, but his statue was not. Uh, It was terrible, and it made him look really ugly. Uh, And there's a lot of uh, people just laughing on social media about it. You see, that statue didn't actually glorify Cristiano Ronaldo at all. It didn't honor him, but it dishonored him. And so it's the same when we sin and rebel against God. Instead of honoring God, we dishonor him when we choose to worship other things and pursue other things. Which is why the book of Ecclesiastes was written for us. It was written to be a warning to us, saying, hey, look, if you try and pursue meaning and joy in things of this world, it's going to lead to futility. It's going to lead to frustration. And it's actually warning us to say, why don't you actually stop putting a band aid on your problem, but actually look deeper into your heart to see how there's a God and how He can provide meaning. And the good news, of course, is that God then reveals Himself in Jesus Christ. As Jesus shows up as the God-man, the perfect imprint of God, radiating God's glory, he demonstrates to us who God is. He comes and he redeems those of us who have dishonored God by living the perfect life and then dying the brutal death on the cross and resurrecting so we can have forgiveness of sin, forgiveness of our broken image and our forgiveness of how we have dishonored God and that now we can actually honor God, glorify him, be obedient towards him and find joy in him. Specifically, that's why I want us to read out John 1. In John 1, verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this sentence I'm about to say is really difficult, so listen up. Uh, The Greek word behind the English word, word, there is the Greek word logos. Now, if you, heard, if you know the word logic, the word logic, the root word of that is the Greek word logos. You see, in Greek philosophy, the Greeks were looking as to what is the logos of life. In other words, what is the meaning to life? What is the purpose, the point to life? They were constantly looking for that in Greek philosophy. And so what's amazing here is that 2,000 years ago when uh, John, Jesus' friend, writes John's gospel and he says here that Jesus is the logos, what he's saying to us is Jesus is the meaning to life. That Jesus is the meaning to life. Now, now, how's that possible? Well, Jesus comes and he demonstrates to us the glory of God. He is the perfect image bearer of God. But he also redeems our broken image and makes it possible for us to reflect God's image once again, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You see, Jesus comes and he wants us to know God and to obey God and to trust God, but also to find joy in God. You see, Jesus says in John 10 that He has come that people may have life and life to the full. Jesus came to bring meaning and purpose and joy in this life. But more than that, Jesus has also come to give us eternal life. Eternal life. So that what we do here matters and so that we will live for eternity and that gives us meaning and purpose to this life now. Now, practically, what does this look like if the meaning of life is found in Jesus and following Him and glorifying God and finding joy in Him? Well, I want to you know, relieve some of you. Glorifying God doesn't necessarily look like you quitting your job and becoming a pastor or bowing down at an altar. It doesn't look like that at all. Glorifying God just means trusting God, obeying Him, loving Him, and seeking your joy and meaning in Him. For those of you maybe who are unsure about what it looks like to be a Christian, let me give an example of what it looks like to be a Christian and how it's about finding joy in God, and it's not about guilt and obligation. Uh, my wife is here tonight with my two boys. Uh, they're currently uh, out the back because my boys are too noisy. Um, but I want you to pretend uh, that there's after this uh, sermon that I actually uh, go home via the shops and some shops that are selling flowers, which at this time of the night, there's none. But let's pretend there is. Let's say brunches at West Wollongong is open, and then I buy like a $100 set of flowers, like, you know, you know, good stuff. And then I walk home, and Emma's there, and I walk in, and, and I give her these flowers, and I want you to pretend that Emma's like, oh, Joel, you're such an amazing husband. I love you so much. You're so adorable. You're so handsome. I can go on here, but I'll stop. Um, and then she says to me, but why did you buy these flowers? You know, like, it's not my birthday. It's not my anniversary. And then I want you to pretend that two scenarios. Scenario number one, I say this to her. I'm like, uh, Emma, it's because you're my wife. And because I am obligated to buy you things uh, to make you happy, um, yeah, like that's it, right? Imagine if I said that, all right? Like any brownie points I was making, any romantic moment, pff, like it's gone, all right? It's gone, all right. And if you're a husband here, do not do that. Uh, it will end badly. Um, now I want to, scenario number two. I want you to pretend, and this is what I would do, all right? Uh, is I'd go home, and when she asks me, you know, why have you bought me flowers? Uh, then instead, I've gone because I love you, because you're my wife, and I want to honor you, because I find joy in you, because you are good and glorious. And I want to honor you and glorify you as my wife, and I want to respect you. Being a Christian is is like that. You see, it it may may scare you as to how Christians live differently to the world, but we live differently, not because we have to, but because we want to. We live differently because we have a meaning and purpose to life. And truth is, we actually find joy in this. The Bible teaches us that there is joy in this life if you follow Jesus, and there's also joy in the life to come. And it's joy that cannot be quenched by suffering of the storms of this life. Because we believe that the greatest gift in life is not health, it's not wealth, it's not prosperity, but it is God. It is God. And that's why when suffering comes, which we'll talk about next week, it doesn't blow away our faith, but instead it strengthens it because we know that the greatest gift is God. We know that eternity is coming. We know that this life matters and that we're here to obey Him and to honor our King and our God whom we love. So, what is the meaning to life well, there's three answers that I went through tonight. Answer number one, there is no meaning. You can believe that, but I think you'll be depressed. Answer number two, life is, uh, the meaning of life is to make up your own meaning. You can believe that, but I think you're just distracting yourself from a deeper truth. Or answer number three, that the meaning of life is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. My hope and my prayer is that if you don't believe in the third answer, that you eventually will. But even if you disagree with everything I've said here tonight, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're engaged with this. And I pray and hope you continue to. And so how about I pray to close. Uh, Father God, we want to just thank you so much that you are a good and glorious God, a God that allows us to worship you and by doing so brings us joy. We thank you so much that you are a good father who knows what's best for us, that you're a good father who loves us deeply and also knows the best thing for us is for us to love you as well. We thank you so much that you have created us in your image and lord i pray that you help us by your son and by your spirit to reflect your image and to glorify you in this life to be obedient to you not because we have to but because we want to lord i pray you help us to focus on jesus our savior and our redeemer and we thank you so much for him and we pray that by your spirit you help us to live a meaningful life lord i pray that you forgive us when we dishonor you and i pray lord that you help us in everything that we do be it through work sports relationships to do the best we can to bring you honor. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Tim's now got to
0: pray for us.